0: Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus. We're going to get back into our series, In Not Of, as we do a study through the book of 1 Corinthians. Last week, we, ta- we ended on the idea of talking about the implications of grace in your life, talking about how when grace comes, there's four things that I identify that happen when when the grace of Jesus Christ, the the charismatic of God, the charisma of God comes into your life, you experience salvation, you experience satisfaction, you experience a, a change in how you speak and how you think. And fourthly, the one that I spent the most time on was the idea that God gives you spiritual gifting and every single person in this room, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, has been given at least one gift, if not more. And my encouragement to you last week was to consider that Paul was telling the Corinthian church, listen, you guys have everything that you need to be successful in your walk with God, everything that you need to fulfill the purposes of God for your life. And he said that ironically to the Corinthians, knowing that they were struggling in the area of their spiritual gifting. And I ended last week talking about the idea that every single person on this planet uh, from, uh, from the beginning of the world to the end of the world will stand before God when they die. And they will actually take account not only for uh, when we, we accept uh, get into heaven through grace and the gift and the faith of God, but also we will take an account for the things we did in our life. And so we will stand before the Lord and he says, okay, my good and faithful servant, did you do something with what I gave you? And I wanted to start, today by reminding you of that, that God wants every one of you guys to experience the fulfillment of what it feels like to be called by God's purposes, and to see that fulfilled in your life, and see your life uh, experiencing everything that God has for you. Today, we're going to do something a little different. We are going to talk in the book of Corinthians, but we're actually going to not spend a lot of time talking about the Corinthian church today. The church, as we're going to begin to study a little more, has had some division, and Paul came to them and began to talk about peace. And there are some divisions in the church. The first division they were having was they were, they were arguing about all sorts of random things uh, in, in, their, in their faith, in their Christianity, and they were arguing about basic elementary foundational doctrinal truths such as water baptism and, and spiritual gifting and, and speaking in tongues or prophetic or, or uh, the, the sexual morality of an individual, but there was basic foundational beliefs, doctrines that they were arguing about. Not only that, they were arguing about minor things, minor things like, should you eat meat that was sold in a market that was uh, offered up to an idol? In those days, our days today would be, man, should we eat meat? Or should I drink alcohol? Or should I do this? Or should I watch this movie? Or should I do that thing? All these different debatable things that tend to have a bit of a gray in the Bible, they built their faith on these minor biblical things and it was causing division because what was happening is, and I see this happening today in the church which saddens my heart and I know that it saddens the heart of God is what people have done in the, in the, in the Corinthian church. They, they Some of them begin to follow Apollos because Apollos was an incredible orator. The guy was an amazing preacher. He was an intellectual individual who could pull things out of scripture that were so mind-boggling and so people said, man, I follow Apollos. I, I subscribe to his podcast and I buy his books and I only listen to Apollos and any time anyone says anything that opposes Apollos, I disagree with them, and then there was Peter. Peter with more of a traditional mindset, where he taught the taught the Ju- Judaic law, and he. The idea of following Moses and the law of Moses as well as Jesus, and so people who were more traditional and more more caught up in the idea of liturgy, and they said, "That's where I am, and that's who I follow." And anytime anyone goes against Peter, I I don't follow them. And then thirdly, we had Paul, and Paul said, "Listen, I didn't I didn't even preach good messages. I, I, I preached such a bad message one time. A guy fell out of the window and died. For goodness sakes, like like you think it's bad to fall asleep during my message? One guy died. For goodness sakes." And I went down and prayed for him, and he got back up, and maybe that's why people like to listen to me because that, God used me to do that. Who knows, a miracle or something. But people started following Paul and saying, well, Paul does miracles, or Paul preaches the, just the Jesus only. And there was division in the church because people were following people rather than following Jesus people were spending their lives focusing on the words and the interpretations of man on the scripture and saying, I'm going to build my life around this when in reality, the Bible calls us to follow Jesus, to be studiers of the word for ourselves, to look into scripture and study, not to listen to Ryan and say, well, what Ryan says must be the the written gospel. Man, everything I say today is going to be perfect. Of course not. I am here today to deliver a word to you that you would then go and study it and say, wow, man, I really agree with this and I like that, but I'm not sure about this. I need to talk to him about what you he said here. That's okay, because the goal is for you to follow Jesus. Not a man, not a denomination, not a church, Jesus. And so there was all sorts of division in the church. We're actually gonna, in a couple of weeks, we're gonna jump back into that thought and build some thoughts around it, but we're actually gonna kind of put it in reverse a little bit. And talk a little bit about the idea of of peace today because I felt like the Lord put something on my heart this week as we at our pursue night we had a great turnout to our pursue night this week and we were worship was just unbelievable God was just ministering uh, to people and it was really really cool and there was three different kind of prophetic thoughts that were given Uh, we give space for people to kind of share hey what's God speaking to your heart. And three different things were said. The first person shared the idea that you have something in your life that you're facing, that you're, you're, you have anxiety or fear to, to, to deal with that thing that's going on in your life. And the word was, come on, have boldness, have faith. Come on, you can do it. The second word was in relationship to fear talking about the idea of fear in your life and actually fear when it comes to your walk with the Lord and fear when it comes to your spiritual gifting and fear when it comes to fill, fulfilling the things that God's called you to do. And the third word was uh, f- uh, someone read a scripture in Philippians chapter four about anxiety. And after that, after that night, I felt like the Lord just said, okay, Ryan, I want you to kind of just idle here for a moment on the idea of peace and do a little teaching on the idea of fear and anxiety to, to, to address this what the, the thought was is that in our church today, there might be people who are dealing with overwhelming fear and anxiety. And today, my prayer is that we will, we will uh, give that authority to Christ and he will take the authority in our lives. And so there's three implications I wanna talk about today. Ricardo, my friend, uh, my phone, as always, is being a little bum and it's not cooperating. And so I'm just gonna restart the app. And, uh, but I'm gonna give you the first one here today. And you can put up the first thought. There is that uh, the the first implication of peace is that uh, that we receive uh, peace for our eternal salvation. And when I I spoke last week about grace, you might hear that and think to yourself that I'm, I'm talking about just grace as in the free gift of love from God. And yes, I am talking about grace, but I'm specifically talking about the fact that if you were to go outside today and get in your car and be turning right on Heritage Drive and a bus ran a red light and smashed the car up and you died, peace that I will spend an eternity with Jesus Christ. Peace that I'm going to go to heaven and be where there is no fear, where there is no pain, be in the place where I am restored back to the original place that God intended me to be, the peace of God that comes into our life through salvation isn't only to forgive us of our sin, it isn't only to give us grace and favor to live a good life, but also there's a peace that happens on a, on a global level for my life where when I experience the peace of God, there is an assurance in my life that I am going to spend an eternity, that when I die, there's only two options here, and the one I'm going to experience is I'm going to experience heaven. And this peace that comes into our life is a peace that we don't often want to talk about. But the first thing we experience is this eternal peace. We have to understand something today is that Peace only comes through Jesus. And Colossians says this in 119 uh, to 20. For him, uh, in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth, uh, earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And so we see here that peace comes through what? The cross. It comes through Jesus. It comes through... His blood. We experience the fact of peace in our life, the peace of knowing that if I were to die today, I don't just stop existing as some might believe. I I don't just end uh, uh, and I go into a dark abyss. There is an afterlife. And because I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, there is peace in my heart knowing I am going to spend an eternity. With Christ. I mean, look at this, Ephesians 2. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away from God have been brought near by what? The blood of Christ. Look at, for he himself, he Jesus is our peace. Not just Jesus' teaching, not just Jesus' ideas, not just Jesus' concepts, not just the philosophy of Jesus, Jesus himself, that when God the Father sent his son to earth, he sent peace in body form. Peace in itself went to the cross. Peace died. Peace rose again. Jesus Christ himself is our peace. Not just the ideas of Jesus. And many of us hear the ideas of Jesus are the ideas of God and we think that, okay, I I get God and I get it and I've I've been to church maybe when I was little or I I grew up in the Catholic church or I I was a Muslim or I was a Buddhist and I have the idea of God and so therefore I have peace. No, no, you got to understand this. Jesus is peace. There is no other way around it. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And it's important that we understand that this morning that the first implication of peace in our life is eternal salvation. The man who, uh, a man who was, uh, his name and it was Nicholas Ridley, 1555. He was uh, arrested and taken to jail for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the sentence that they put on this man was to be burned alive on a stake. They would tie him around the stake. They would put a uh, substance like gasoline or a, a flammable substance and they would light this man on fire. Imagine being this man the night before you're about to be burned on a stake for having one confession that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life and I'm actually gonna give my life for that reality. And he's at, at in the jail cell and his brother comes to visit him and he, say, he says, my friend, he's brother, like Nicholas, like I'm, I'm here to be with you tonight. Your last night on the earth, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to, I'm going to help you. I'm going to sc- encourage you, pray for you, meet your need. Nicholas looked at his brother, his, his, his only brother, and said, I don't need you to stay with me tonight. I don't need you to comfort me. I don't need you to help me. He said, why? He says, I'm going to have the best sleep of my life tonight. He says, because I know that when I'm burned on that stake, I get to be with Jesus. Are you to the place in your life where you know that the peace of God isn't just about getting through circumstances, though it is, and we'll talk about that, but first and foremost, you have to understand that the peace of God secures this eternal salvation that, that the the population either has two options. We have an option, and I'm gonna say it, and you might not like it, that that the Bible clearly teaches that those who do not confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, they will spend an eternity in the torments of hell, or vice versa, we get the option of accepting Jesus Christ into our life, his free gift of grace for you, and then we accept that into our life, and now we have the blessed assurance, as the song says, this peace in our heart, knowing that no matter what happens to me, no matter what life gives me, I'm gonna spend an eternity with Jesus Christ, where there's no fear, where there's no shame, where there's no tears, where I'm going to see all the things that God had for my life in the perfect Eden, in the perfect oasis of life. I will be restored back to that place. And one day I will be on the new heaven and the new earth, living this new life with Jesus Christ. Can you say that about your life? A blessed assurance, this eternal salvation. We often don't talk about it, but it's really important when we start there today. The second thought it's interesting because many of us can have this blessed assurance, this idea that we're gonna spend an eternity in heaven, but many of us live filled with anxiety. It's, a, it's like this, 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 um, uh, this interesting dichotomy where we understand that we're gonna spend an eternity in heaven. We understand that we're followers of Jesus. We understand that we have the power. We understand that Steph said that you have the victory. We understand that we get it, but we still live in fear and anxiety all the time. And so there's a next step in this this peace implication in your life. Very simply, it's the peace for who you are. Now, I can write this with confidence because I know I've experienced as part of my testimony, part of my message, part of my story, is the fact that Jesus helped me understand who I am. And In fact, the word peace actually means to join, to weave together. It actually means the the total well-being, everything that makes for a man's highest good. So the peace of Jesus takes something that was broken, something that was ruined, something that was fallen apart, and he begins to weave it and join it together. An author in Psalms, uh, Psalms uh, 38 articulated this really well. He said, Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Your arrows have pierced me and your hand has come down on me because of your wrath. There is no health in my body. There is no soundness in my bones because of my sin. My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. Notice the phrase, no soundness. That is the Greek word, or the Hebrew word shalom. It means peace. There's no peace in my bones. There's no peace on the inside because I, of my sin in my life. I am far from God. Therefore, on the inside of me, I am fragmented. Inside of me, I'm not put together. On the inside of me, something doesn't make sense. I try my best to make things work. I, I, I give myself into that addiction or that relationship or that area of my life because I know that this fear and this anxiety or this insecurity in me and who I am rises up and my first reaction is not to respond to the Lord. It's to respond to this area because it's just, I've been doing it for so many years. I run to this thing in my life and it just seems to define who I am. Really what we're doing is we're responding in insecurity because we don't know who we are We've got this fragmentation inside of us, and our bones have no peace. And we feel like, man, I feel distant from God. I know I've done this. I've gone on sin binges. I'm sure you, maybe you have it, maybe not. Maybe I'm the only person in the room who's a sinner. It's okay, but I've gone on sin binges. You know what I mean? I'm like, well, I might as well done it. I might as well go all the way. You know? It's like, it's like when you eat that pizza and you get to slice and eat, and there's nine slices. Like, well, what the heck? All right, you know? Like, it's the same thing with sin. It's like we just start down the path, and we're like, well, I'm gonna ask forgiveness on Tuesday, and it's Monday, so I'm just gonna finish this thing out. The reality is is that what we're doing is we're investing into the unknownness of who we are. We're actually causing the fragmentation to go farther. It's like a puzzle that when you are like a puzzle box, you take this puzzle box and you shake it up and you throw it on a table and you see pieces are upside down and they're scattered and you kind of get a picture. I don't even know what this is and I'm up close to it. Don't worry. Uh, you might be thinking, what is that? I have no idea. I think it's a fence, but either way, this might be a dolphin jumping out of the creek. I don't know. But you begin to see clear. oh, there's mountains. You begin to see clearly what your life's beginning to look like. And what Jesus does is he's the ultimate puzzle master. He begins to put the puzzles back together. He begins to join you. He begins to cause peace. He begins to cause clarity and wholeness and understanding. And then whenever we begin to invest into our selfish ways, we take pieces out and we put them outside and we say, why do I feel so distant? And Why do I feel so far away from God? And why do I feel so broken? And why is my relationship not meeting my need? And why is my marriage not going well? And why are my kids not being better? Why is life not like I thought? It's because you're not relying on the right thing to define who you are. And so this peace defines us. One of the most powerful passages of scripture, my favorite. This is my story, so I love it. Genesis chapter 32. I'm actually going to put it back up there so I can tell the story for a moment. Jacob was a young man who was born a twin. He came out just moments after Esau. When Esau came out of his mom's womb, he had hair all over his body. He was red. His name was Edom or Esau, which means red brick. And so he came, out of his, he came out of his mom's womb and his dad looked at him and he named him as he was. He named him as his external, uh, his external appearance. He said, you're red, you're hairy, you're a red brick, you're Esau. But when Jacob came out just a few moments later, he named him Jacob because Jacob had grabbed the heel of his brother Esau on the way out. Imagine that picture, baby coming out and another one falling right behind him. I mean, that'll go viral. <laughs> He grabs the heel, and right away he looks at him and says, "This young man's—he's a, uh, a heel biter. He's a backstabber. He's a con artist. This guy is just trying to cut his way to the top." Imagine your dad looking at you saying, "Yeah, I like you, but you're kind of a con artist, son." Not only that, the Bible very clearly defines that 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 Isaac loved Esau and Rachel loved Jacob, and so his entire life he tried to live his life trying to gain his father's approval. Everything he did, he stole his brother's blessing. He stole his brother's birthright and to the point where his brother wanted to kill him and Jacob had to go away and he went away for a long time and Jacob actually became very successful, very wealthy, had two wives, hello, and he had uh, 11 children and finally he felt like God was telling him to go back and make it right with Esau, which is the fourth component of peace, which we won't talk about today, restitution in your relationships, but number four, he, he felt God was calling him to go back and make it right with Esau and so he went, uh, uh, began his journey, and he sent his his family and his possessions and his animals across the fort of Jabbok, and the scripture says he came back into the camp, and the Bible very clearly, you can read it, Genesis 32, he stood alone in the camp of God all by himself, and an angel came, and the, the theologians believe that this angel was a theophany, and a theophany is a form of Jesus, so they would believe that this was like a bodily form of Jesus, Jesus coming down and was present on the earth, and here Jacob wrestled with this angel, with Jesus. And I'm sure Jesus walked up to him and said, you are so stubborn. Like, just deal. Just give in. Like, stop being, trying to prove yourself so much. He says, no, I'm not going to do it. He just wrestled and wrestled and wrestled. All night long they wrestled, until finally we come to this verse, and it says this. Then he said, verse 26, "The, the angel Let me, big letter M, me go, for day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go until you declare a blessing on me. I just want you to bless my life. I've been living my entire life trying to get my dad's blessing, and it hasn't worked. And now I need God, I need your blessing. And look what the question he asked him, the man asked him, what is your name? Who are you? And he says, in shock of realization, Whispering, he said, Jacob, I'm a supplanter, I'm a schemer, I'm a trickster, I'm a con artist, and guess what? I always have been. That's exactly who I am, God. This is who I think about myself. I'm a failure. I'm a loser. I'm about this. I'm about that. I don't even know who I am. I don't know why I do what I do. I don't know why I work the job I work. I don't know why I treat my wife the way I do. I don't know why this happens and this happens. That's exactly who I am, God. And look what God says to him. He says, your name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel, contender with God, for you've contended and have power with God and with men and propelled. He says, listen, you don't even know your own name. You don't even know who you are. You're not a backstabber. Your dad named you that, but that's not who you are. Your dad called you that thing and he, he, he didn't love you as much as, as, as I love you. He, I love you. I care for you. I want you to be successful. God wants you to have a happy life. Not a happy life as in necessarily prosperous and wealthy and blessed. Happy meaning peace filled with God. Happy meaning blessed by God's spiritual blessings in your life. God wants to come and bless you. He loves you. He cares for you. He has a plan for you. There's something inside of you that he loves so deeply, even though you don't like yourself. There's an old psychology book I read one time, and I just carry the title with me everywhere. It's called, I'm okay, you're okay. It's this declaration. You know what? I got a lot of things in my life where I'm wired weird. I got, I'm wired interesting like, everyone here could say, you know what? I don't know why I do that. It's because you're wired that way. That's why you're, Ryan, that's why you're so cynical sometimes, and that's why you be negative, and, you know, that's why you think this way and act that way. It's just, you're just wired that way, just through, through how you were brought up and this is the world we live in. There's, you're wired with good, and you're wired with bad, and you just have to come to the point where you accept this. God... You made me as I am, and I accept the fact that you love me. I accept the fact that you created me. I accept the fact that you have great plans for my life. I accept the fact that I'm a big failure. I made big mistakes, and I'm going to make more, and that I just fall flat on my face. I I get it, God. I understand that. I accept that I'm okay. I'm okay with exactly who I am right now. See, many followers of Jesus Christ don't know who they are And that's why you're in this cycle, because you don't know who you are. That's why your relationships keep falling apart. That's why you keep going back to the area of sin. That's why you keep living a life trying to control everything. It's because you don't know who you are. You're insecure in your walk w- in your own life. You don't know who you are. You don't know what your father thinks about you. You have issue with maybe your natural parents. You don't know who you are. And the peace of God comes and he weaves you and he joins you and he puts the pieces back together. And now I can look myself in the mirror with all my stinking large idiosyncrasies and weird things about myself and say, "You know what, God? You love me." If you could create that moon and that mountain and you form me in my mother's womb and you know every single day of my life is written in your book before I even lived one of them. I think you have a plan for my life. I think you have something great for me. I think even though I'm facing something hard, God, there are greater days ahead. This is one of the biggest, I think, speed bumps for Christians we can't accept who we are in Jesus Christ. We don't accept what the Word of God says about us because you think you've screwed up too much. You think you're not good enough. You think, oh, I've tried this before. Listen, He bought you the way you are. That's how Jesus bought you, as is. You think you gotta get your life in order for Jesus to love you? You are far wrong. You're natural father, and that might be the case. Many of us chuckle. <laughs> Yeah, you're right. I'm not good enough for this person or that person or 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 that boss or that family member or that thing. But listen, with Jesus, he loves you just the way you are. And the peace of God comes and just you just get to rest. Just I love that. You just get to rest. I don't have to strive. I don't have to strive for you. I don't have to perform for you. I don't have to perform for my wife. I don't have to perform for my parents, for my brothers, my sisters, my friends. I just get to honor and minister to Jesus. Peace for who you are. The third thought and last thought here this morning is peace amongst life's challenges. So he gives you peace for eternal salvation. He gives you peace for who you are. And now he gives you peace on the inside during life's difficult circumstances. The word peace defined here is a state of untroubled, undisturbed well-being. Let me read that again and just make sure you let your eyes look at those definitions. A state of untroubled, undisturbed well-being. There was a, a painter, a very famous painter, wanted to get the perfect painting for peace. So he sent out a a notice to all the painters across the world and said, I want you to paint me your version of peace. And whoever comes back with the best picture of peace will receive a, a healthy reward. And so all these people came, the deadline came, they were unveiling picture after picture after picture, painting after painting, and people were oohing and eyeing over each one, came down to two, and the, 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 the suspense was getting big. All these people were there, it was this huge worldwide thing, a big event, and they took the, 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 the veil off of the second-to-last painting, and oh my gosh, this was the, just the, the perfect picture of peace. A beautiful stream, Beautiful bridge, and you had these rolling hills and these sheep in these hills, and the sun was beating down, and you could even smell the green grass and just feel the heat of the sun. And people were like, That's it. That's what I'm striving for. That is the picture. Then they came to the very last picture, and they took off the canvas, and people gasped. They went like they were shocked that this was the last picture. It was this picture of this raging, violent, waterfall. And it was hitting down. In fact, there was rocks coming off of the waterfall. It was so violent. It must have, in their minds, had happened after a tragedy or a flood. There was water gushing out and trees were coming out. And it was just a tumultuous, raging waterfall. And in the very small corner of this painting, you saw a little tree sticking out, almost as though it was reaching out to be beaten up by this waterfall. And then even smaller was this little tiny branch. And on that branch, Was a little nest, and in the nest was a bird sitting on top of its eggs with its wings covering over the nest. See, that is a picture of what Christian peace looks like. See, what we often do is we often think that our objective of peace is the green meadow with sheep. And we say, I'm not going to, I'm not going to stop striving until I reach that peace, the peace of the car, the peace of the job, the peace of the marriage being fully restored. I'm not going to stop until I get this beautiful meadow of sheep and sun and stream. When God has called you to actually live amongst the waterfall, the challenge, the difficulty, the hardship when there's cancer, when there's sickness, when there's marriage difficulties, when there's financial difficulties, when life is falling apart, all around us, you and I are at peace and our heart is not to strive for perfect circumstances or a perfect life our heart is to strive for the peace of God that surpasses all understanding Christmas scripture in Isaiah 9-6 for unto us a child is born to us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulders and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That word "Prince" there means a captain, a commander, a general, an overseer, a ruler, a leader. So a captain, and the word the word uh, "peace" here actually means shalom, completeness, soundness, welfare, peace, health, prosperity. Interestingly enough, if you look at this Greek word shalom, well, or, I'm sorry, Hebrew word shalom often uh, as you know in the hebrew we actually read from right to left and so the way the word picture for this this word is the first letter which is the letter on the right is actually means to consume or destroy the second letter the third letter over is means authority or shepherd staff so if you put those two words together the interpretation could be to destroy authority the third word, or I'm sorry, the second word over, the third letter is to connect or attach together. And the last letter is, is chaos or water. In the ancient picture of ancient language, this last little symbol would often be referred to as a tsunami and so you have this idea of a destroying of authority. You have the idea of a, of a, 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 a tsunami, of a flood, of a challenge. And, and this word shalom, if we put it all together, actually, it actually could mean that we find that true peace or shalom only comes when you destroy the authority that is connected to your chaos. And so only from destroying those things, from the chaos in your life, this Anxiety and fear, thing that you are thinking about and worried about and concerned about, creates anxiety and fear, and this becomes the authority in your life of the chaos. And so the chaos is happening, and we apply anxiety. Chaos is happening, and we apply fear. And so these become the captain of our chaos. And shalom is when Jesus came. He came to destroy the thing, the fear, the anxiety that's trying to control the areas of our life that are out of control. And so when shalom comes into your life, It comes when Jesus' shalom comes. It actually stands toe-to-toe, eye-to-eye with the things you've given authority in your life. It stands eye to eye with the fear in your life, and it stands eye to eye, and it says, okay, this area of your life, this need for relationship or the desire for that promotion at your job or whatever's happening in your marriage, whatever it might be, the chaos, your response, you have two options. You could either say, okay, Lord, I'm gonna give this authority to you to help me manage this, or you say, okay, fear and anxiety, I'm gonna give the authority to you to help me manage. One of these things will become the leader or the captain of your people peace. And anxiety and fear often gives us an immediate peace, but eventually leads to control and, and fear and over, oh, oh, trying to take over the situation. And what shalom does is shalom comes in, stands face to face with fear and anxiety and says, you're not welcome here. Look at the scripture in a very famous scripture that my friend read on the other night in Philippians 4. It says, don't worry or be anxious about Anything. Instead, pray about everything. That word anxious there actually has a very interesting definition. It actually means to, to seek to promote one's interests. Think about that for a minute. When anxiety comes up in your life or fear comes up in your life, the, the, what that is is your selfish nature trying to promote your own interests. And it says, do not be anxious for anything, but instead pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His shalom will guard your heart and mind as you live in Christ Jesus. Do not be anxious about anything. Instead, shift your attention and turn to God. There is a, Paul is saying, stop being anxious, shift your attention, shift your perspective, stop giving your authority to this, and let God have the authority of those things. You have to make a personal decision when fear and anxiety come to stop it at the door and say, I'm actually gonna give authority to Christ instead of giving authority to you today. You have to make, you think that God's gonna do it for you. I hate to break it to you, but he actually has to be invited in. He has to, you have to let him in. We often want God to come and bulldoze us down. That's not how Jesus does things. He says, you gotta gotta invite me. You gotta ask me to join you on this journey. In 2 Samuel 21, verse 7 to 9, David is is a man after God's own heart, and we'll end on this thought, and then we'll go back into a time of worship. David is uh, is a man after God's own heart. He's a man who follows the Lord. He's a man who God loves, and he's now, uh, it's proven a fact that Saul is trying to kill David. So David goes on a journey. He runs He runs away from Saul, and as he's running away from Saul, he runs to the city of Nob and goes to a temple, uh, the the church, and he goes and finds the pastor, and he says to the pastor, Pastor, I need water and I need food for my my men because uh, they they are on a long journey from the king. He's lying to the the pastor. I'm on a long journey, and I need your help, and you need to help me. And so the the pastor provides him water and food, and he, he helps him. Because he thinks that David is on a journey. So David is, is now in a situation where he's out of control. Saul's trying to kill him. And what does he do? He begins to try to control the situation. And he comes into the temple of God. And this is very interesting. If you look at the scripture with me this morning, look what Saul, Samuel says, or David says of this. He says, Now one of Saul's servants was there that day, detained before the Lord. He was Doeg, the Edomite, Saul's chief shepherd. And David asked Ahimelech, don't you have a spear or sword here? I haven't brought my sword or any other weapon because the king's mission was so urgent. I want you to notice something. This young man, Doeg, was in the church of God. And when David walked into the church of God, when David walked into the temple, he was seeking help. And now he's trying to control things on his own. The really interesting thing about this verse that you might not know is Doeg's name means anxiety. Anxiety. Doeg walks into the temple of God. He's, he, went, he made a right choice to go to God in that respect, and he's there, he's going to God, he's trying to figure it out. But when he gets there, he sees anxiety, and the first thing David does is ask for a natural weapon. He says, well, do you have a weapon? I need a weapon now. He sees Doeg, sees anxiety, and his first reaction is to seek out natural means to meet his need. And look what happens in the scripture. Look what it says. The priest replied, the sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah is here. It is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. An ephod was a thing that priests would wear to get direction from the Lord. They would wear this thing when they went in to pray and God would actually give them direction. This ephod had something about it that would lead them in the right direction. So David is now having an opportunity to choose the ephod or to choose Goliath's sword, which is behind the ephod. And in the scripture, David chooses Goliath's sword over the ephod every single day. you You have ephod moments where you're experiencing something difficult in your life and you can make a decision right then and there. Are you going to take Goliath's sword? Are you going to take things into your own hands? Are you going to start allowing the lies and the fear and the anxiety of the the, the devil and the lies of the enemy and the lies of the situation to fill your mind? Are you going to put Goliath's sword aside, grab the ephod, be anxious for nothing, but in all things, by prayer and supplication, I'm going to bring my request before the Lord because I know that he will guard my heart and my mind with a peace that surpasses all understanding. See, you have a decision every single day of your life to choose. Look at this in Colossians, as we'll end on this verse. Let the peace, soul harmony which comes from Christ's rule. Look at this. Act as an umpire continually. (laughs) When you have a situation in your life, it happens. You got to fight. Marriage is having trouble, and you start worrying, or fear comes into your life. You got to say, Okay, God, I'm going to let you come into my life right now and take authority over my fear, and take authority over my anxiety, take authority over my doubt. Jesus, I'm inviting you shalom to come and stand toe-to-toe with the thing that's keeping me from moving forward in my walk with you. I'm going to stand toe-to-toe with the thing that's causing my marriage to fall apart or my finances to be in shambles. I'm going to stand toe-to-toe with the thing that's been taking authority over my mind for years. And no longer. I'm not going to take Goliath's sword today. I'm not going to try to fix this on my own. I'm going to grab the ephod and I'm going to turn to the Lord. I'm going to shift my attention toward God Shalom, and towards the Prince of Peace. And I'm going to trust the Lord with all my heart and lean not on my own understanding. I'm going to turn to God. I'm going to fight for my mind. I'm going to fight for my heart. I'm going to fight for my life. I'm going to fight for my marriage. I'm going to fight for these things. I'm going to fight for them by not allowing fear and anxiety to have authority in your life any longer. Let it be done today. Let Jesus be the umpire of your life. Come on, let's worship together this morning. Would you stand with me? Just for a moment, would you mind just closing your eyes? I want to ask the Holy Spirit to come right now as James leads us this morning. Father, we just invite you here. Your word has been preached, Lord. And now we invite you. I command all authority that is not Jesus Christ to go. Every principality and power of the air. We struggle not against flesh and blood but against every principality and power we tell those principalities and powers you are not welcome in this place and today as we worship as we minister Thank you for to listening you, Lord, to our love city church today, podcast visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca we pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with jesus